Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. Dr. Peter Kraft is one of the most influential Christian philosophers of his generation. He recently visited The Ohio State University to participate in a dialogue with an atheist chemist named Dr. Ivana Nikolic Hughes about the value of human beings. After receiving his PhD from Fordham University with postgraduate studies at Yale, he has been a professor at Boston College since 1965. Having written more than 75 books with more on the way, Dr. Kraif has been a prolific author. So what has made Dr. Kraif so influential? He is able to take very complex arguments and ideas and yet simplify them in a compelling way, all without oversimplifying. Thousands of skeptics, spiritual seekers, and believers from around the world have looked to Professor Kraft as a significant spiritual guide and resource. It is our privilege to share with you our interview with Dr. Peter Kraft. In episode one, we asked Dr. Kraft to reflect on his career as a philosopher. We asked him what it means when he writes that there is no such thing as no philosophy, but only good philosophy and bad philosophy, and why one has to choose to begin the spiritual journey. Dr. Crave, thank you so much for being willing to do this interview with us. It's a, a privilege for us to have the chance to talk with you. And uh, I thought I would start the interview by asking you a little bit about your thoughts on your own life and career as a philosopher. You've been a philosophy professor at Boston College for a very long time. And I wondered if there's ever been a time where you have questioned your faith or your vocation, or if you've wondered if you've been doing the right thing all of these years. And if so, if you'd be willing to to tell us about that? Well, I'm sorry that's the question you start with because I'm not very good at answering that question. I don't think <laughs> a lot about myself and my career. Uh, my career is to be a philosopher, and a philosopher is a lover of wisdom, and I don't think wisdom consists in getting ingrown eyeballs and thinking about yourself all the time. Mm. So I just like to tell the truth as I see it and let the chips fall where they may. So when people ask me questions about introspection and method and how do you teach, uh, I come up with a blank. I don't know. I just do it. I try everything, and I use what works. In that sense, I'm a pragmatist. Hmm. So it sounds like being a philosophy professor then has come pretty natural yeah. to you. If it doesn't come natural, you don't love it. And if you don't love it, you're not going to be very good at it. Hmm. Uh do you think that's corollary at all to students at our university in various different majors? Oh, yeah, yeah. If they think too much about themselves and worry about their success, uh, they won't be successful. If you worry about an exam instead of the subject, you won't take a good exam. But if you're just in love with the subject, you forget about the exam, it'll, it'll flow. Mm. Well, one of the main things that we wanted to talk to you about in our interview is about a couple different books that you've written. And the first we thought we would enjoy talking to you about is your book, The Journey. Mm -hmm. uh, from our vantage point, you, you've written uh, 75 books with more coming. And The Journey is, seems to be one of the more significant ones, at least in terms of from what people we know, its impact on them, including ourselves. 
And I'm wondering, how would you, if you could sum up what the journey is about and why you decided to write it, what what would you say? It's about philosophy as an intellectual journey, about the basic questions that philosophy has asked about what the greatest philosophers have always asked about the meaning of life uh, in a certain logical order. So I have Socrates, the ideal philosopher, the great-granddaddy of all philosophers, be the, uh, the Socrates figure. Uh, and the reader is uh, invited to dialogue with him and identify with the person who's on the journey with him and confront questions like, uh, is there objective truth? And are there objective values? And does life have a meaning? And if so, how can you find it? Uh, and finally, what does God have to do with it? And I write it for the same kind of audience that I write most of my books for, namely intelligent and inquisitive beginners. Uh, Somewhere between the person who prefers the National Enquirer uh, and the professional scholar. I like to build bridges between the great philosophers and ordinary people because I'm more on the side of ordinary people than on the side of the great philosophers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, I think that's a a book, The Journey, is a good example of a kind of philosophy for beginners. Mm -hmm. Most philosophers don't like to write books for beginners, just as most people in the computer industry don't like to make dumb computers for beginners. They like to uh, advance challenges, and so do philosophers. And they write learned articles in professional journals, which are unintelligible except to other philosophers. Uh, I don't like to do that. I have ADD. I get bored very easily. (laughs) And the great philosophers and the great questions are not boring. You read Plato over and over again, and you get something out of them each time that's new. So, Uh, The journey is basically what I think Plato or Socrates would have said to the intelligent beginner who was really interested in these questions, how to guide him uh, reasonably and commonsensically to to finding answers. Also, there are images uh, that you can imagine as well as concepts that you can think and they reinforce each other. So Mm -hmm. both parts of our brain, the concrete and the abstract, are are engaged in in each chapter in that book. Hmm. Even reading it, like something that was, I loved about it was even the style in which it was written. I was wondering, even your inspiration for writing it in the way that you did or even explaining Mm -hmm. it to those who, who are listening right now. Well, here, too, I think the head and the heart have to uh, cooperate. Uh, The style that I enjoy reading is a uh, simple, direct, clear, uh, waste-no-word style without any baloney. So uh, I, since I love that style, I I naturally want to do it myself. Uh, I'm impatient with most philosophers who are needlessly complex, uh, so... I tried to practice what I preach. Hmm. Did you find even that like the allegorical style, like that even genre you wrote it into, like fit mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, best? I, I I think in terms of analogies and allegories and images, quite naturally. Hmm. Uh, that's probably because I'm very weak in the other area of the brain: mathematics, computers, exact analysis. Hmm. Uh, so I use what I'm good at, and I don't use what I'm bad at. <laughs> yeah. As far as I know, every human being in the world is remarkably good at something and remarkably bad at something. Hmm. Well, we've, we're talking to you quite a bit about philosophy, and I think there are many students on our campus that as soon as we start talking about philosophy might want to tune out. 
But there's a quote in the preface of your book, The Journey, that I, I wanted to ask you more about. Uh, it says in the book that you can't choose between philosophy and no philosophy, only between good philosophy and bad philosophy. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on what you mean by that. Well, philosophy is, by definition, the love of wisdom. And if you don't love wisdom, that's an answer to a philosophical question, namely, what should you love? What has value? What is your goal? If your goal is simply contentment or pleasure or making money or fame, well, that's your philosophy. It's a bad philosophy. If your goal is wisdom, uh, then you're a good philosopher. And even to say philosophy is nonsense is a philosophy. Hmm. And even to say uh, the great philosophical question about what is the meaning of life is a stupid question, well, that's a philosophy. It's a philosophy hmm. that says down with philosophy. Hmm. I think there are a lot of students on our campus who sort of assume that the answer to the meaning of life is an unattainable answer mm -hmm. and therefore sort of don't want to think deeply uh, about about mm -hmm. life. And I'm wondering what you would say to the, the type of student mm -hmm. that kind of looks at these types of questions in that way. Yeah, that's a typical modern skepticism. And I sympathize with it because when you look at the great philosophers, you look at people who are intellectually superior to you, and they disagree with each other. So you think, hey, who am I to disagree with Plato if I'm an Aristotelian? Or who am I to disagree with Aristotle if I'm a Platonist? But that skepticism uh, doesn't work because it's not really skeptical enough. It's not skeptical of its skepticism. To say, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to get an answer to these great questions uh, about the meaning of life, is to assume something dogmatically that you have no right to assume. You don't know whether you're going to find the answer or not. So what do you do in that situation when you're sufficiently skeptical that you're skeptical also of your skepticism? You keep an open mind. Mm. You don't assume that you're not going to find the answer. You don't assume that you are going to find the answer. You try. You explore. Mm. What do you think it looks like? So... Even I can remember as an undergrad, like you're you're taking classes, you're you have a packed schedule, everything kind of around your life is built like right, I'm thinking about what's going on right now, and it's hard I think for many people to think, okay, what what am I supposed to take two hours ever out of every day to step back and you know philosophically think through what is the meaning of life? How do you even for the just the everyday student like how how does one even begin pursuing that, like begin That's this journey? That's a very good question. And my answer to that is in an image. Imagine a bunch of school kids playing ball on a field that's in the middle of a city and busy traffic is, is constantly going back and forth around the playground. If there's no fences around that playground, they're going to worry about uh, getting run over and the kids going uh, uh, past center field to catch a ball and getting run over by a 14-wheeler. <laughs> so, uh, so the fences uh, help, but they're not the main thing. To obsess about the fences, to direct your attention towards the fences is putting second things first. Mm -hmm. You're playing ball, enjoy the game. All right, uh, education is a game, and we've got fences around it. One of them are universities, ivory towers. Another is schedules. Mm -hmm. uh, another is methods. Uh, another is uh, basic principles, including moral principles. They're all fences around the ball field. Uh, 
And we're tempted to pay so much attention to the fences because they're necessary that we forget to play the game. Hmm. Uh, what you're here to do in the university as a student is to live, to live a complete human life. And the fences are there to help you. Uh, Jesus said, uh, uh, the Sabbath is made for men, not man for the Sabbath. Well, the same thing is true about those fences, including your schedules, your tests, everything else. Hmm. So I, I'd say that your original question, how am I going to find time in my life which has such a busy schedule to have this leisured, timeless contemplation which the <laughs> philosophers say is necessary? That's the wrong question. Hmm. You're assuming that everything has to be fit into a schedule. But not fitting things into a schedule is the most important thing you should fit into a schedule. Hmm. Well, in the opening chapter of The Journey... Socrates is serving as a guide for the spiritual journey, and he says that there's a first choice, and it's to begin or not, to travel or not, yeah. to seek a way out of this cave or not, to get on this road or not. And so you seem to be saying that to be on a spiritual journey requires intentionality, it requires mm -hmm. the choice to begin to, to seek truth. And so... Why do you think that's an important place to start? Why did you start out the book uh, in that way? Because the heart has to start pumping blood into the brain before the brain can think. And if philosophy is mainly an activity of the brain, of the mind, it presupposes uh, an intent, a choice, uh, something done by the will and the emotions together, which is pretty much what's meant by the heart. So if you don't care... If you don't want to find the truth, you won't. Jesus said, seek and you shall find, assuming that if you don't seek, you won't find. So finding is really not the most important thing seeking is, because if all who seek eventually find, then that's the very first step. In his pensées, Pascal reserves his bitterest uh, invective, his most serious critique for what he calls indifference not even caring about whether life has a meaning, whether there is life after death, whether there is a God. Yeah, one day I'll die and either I'll go to hell or to nothingness, but I don't care. Hmm. That's insanity. Hmm. Not caring about the great questions of philosophy is insanity. Being bored by the writings of the great philosophers is not insanity. That's just normalcy. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that, though, because I... I mean, I, I'm sure I'm not alone with this. I'm sure Aaron can attest, but... I feel like I've had so many conversations with people on campus and maybe they would self-identify as agnostic, mm -hmm. maybe. And I think I, I typically will ask, okay, is that like sort of an agnosticism, like an I don't care? I don't really, you know, care to find out answers. I'm okay being sort of in the I don't know. Or is it like I'm, I don't, I don't know and I need to know at some point. I feel like most people will say, well, to be honest, I don't care. That's a crucial distinction. Uh, as I said before, the heart moves the head. So if you don't care, nothing else is going to happen. If you do care, you still not, may not find the answer, but you're going to be along the way. Hmm. So there's two different kinds of agnostics, the I don't care agnostics and the I do care agnostics, but I can't find the way. Uh, the second kind would profit from a book like The Journey. Sure. Because they, they, they want to find the way. Right. Uh, compare two different kinds of atheists, for instance. Compare the happy atheists like Sartre or Bertrand Russell 
who would be very upset if uh, they found out that uh, there really was a God, with the unhappy atheists like Albert Camus, who agonizes over the fact that there is no God. He's an atheist. He can't believe in God, but he wishes he could because he says the meaning of life is obviously to be a saint, and you can't be a saint without God, but there is no God. That's a great problem. And that made him a great writer and a great thinker. And if he had lived longer, he would have become a great Christian, I think. So Jordan, listening to this interview, I think what stuck out to me as being significant was when Dr. Kraft was talking about how we all have a philosophy and it's just a matter of whether we have a good philosophy of life or a bad philosophy of life. I think of so many people on our campus who quite honestly, don't reflect often about this, that they they seem as though they want to pursue happiness and to do that on their own terms and to not have to think too critically about that. Um, but that in and of itself, if, if doc, what Dr. Kreef was saying is true, that in and of itself is a philosophy and uh, it's worth thinking critically about that because I think it's possible to pursue the good life, quote unquote, and all the while end up in living a bad life. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, it's significant to me as well, because uh, I think if if it's true, everyone has a philosophy, uh, then it's worth our time, kind of like you were saying, to pursue good philosophy, or at the very least, take time to think through the basic philosophical assumptions I might be making as I live out my life. Um, and I, I think it matters too, because the great philosophical questions, if you will, like, is there meaning to life? Is there a God? These these questions aren't then for just the select few who might enjoy pondering uh, these things, but rather they're for all of us. There's something all of us, uh, it's worth our time to think through as well. Join us in our next episode as we ask Dr. Kraft about whether or not there is a real objective right or wrong and why this question matters for one's spiritual journey. Thanks so much for listening to The Walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit thethompsoninstitute.org, a program of CREW at Ohio State.